What's going on, everybody? I'm Jeff St. Pierre, and this is episode 136 of the Adult Education Podcast. This week, I'm speaking with the CEO and founder of Deeper Than Money, Chloe Elise. Hey, uh, so I got a message from a listener. Thank you, Sarah, by the way. She said that I should have a way for listeners to reach out, comment, or suggest guests and topics on the Adult Education Podcast. There is a way that you can do that. It's through Instagram. That's the best way. The show has an Instagram account at Adult Education Podcast. You can message me there and be a part of the conversation. You can also find me on Instagram, uh, TikTok, Threads, and Facebook if you want to. That's at St. Pierre on Air. Now that we got the business out of the way, thank you for listening this week. I'm excited to share this conversation. I've been holding on to it for a little bit now because we're talking about money, and money is always tough. It's such a personal subject. I feel a little awkward whenever I dive into this subject with someone because by no means am I some kind of financial expert. I have made a lot of mistakes with money in my life. I never want anyone to think that I'm telling them how they have to live their life financially. But I do think that today's guest has some great insight into how we can be better with our money. This week, I'm speaking with the CEO and founder of Deeper Than Money. Her name is Chloe Elise. One of my biggest takeaways from her book, which is titled Deeper Than Money, Ditch Money Shame, Build Wealth, and Feel Confident AF, is right there in the title, Money Shame. It's something that so many of us deal with. We feel this inherent guilt when we have some debt or money problems. Then that gets compounded when we see other people on social media going on vacations and buying expensive things. That shame just continues to spiral. Chloe talks a lot about that shame and how we can get rid of it. I really enjoyed this conversation, so I hope you will as well. Before we dive into it, just a reminder to subscribe to the Adult Education Podcast on whatever platform you're listening on right now, and feel free to leave a rating and review and share the show with your friends. Now, on to my conversation with Chloe Elise. Hello. Hi. How are you? Good. How's it going? Uh, It is going fantastic. How is this uh, whirlwind day of press and media (laughs) treating you? Oh my gosh. It's been so fun. It's been great. I know sometimes they can be very, uh, I don't know, can wear you down when you're just constantly (laughs) jumping from one person to the next. (laughs) No, it's been really fun. It's been good. Well, good. I'm glad you're enjoying yourself. Uh, Chloe Elise, uh, Deeper Than Money, Ditch Money, Shame, Build Wealth, and Feel Confident AF. Thank you so much for uh, talking to me today. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. So the day that we're recording this conversation is August 24th, and I was listening to your podcast. So I think this is a day after what would have been your mom's birthday. I just want to say I'm so sorry for your loss, but I feel like you're so lucky to have had her. She seems like a wonderful human being. Oh, my gosh. Of course. Yeah. And, um, you know, she really inspired me to write this book to begin with. And so it was such a cool And, you know, coincidence um, to have the book come out this week. It was really special. Yeah. And I know traditionally when a book is published, it's probably been turned in for about a year, give or take a little Mm -hmm. bit of time. So I imagine she got to see most of the book before it was sent back in. Yeah, um, it was it was kind of crazy. So I started this whole process like three years ago and um And again, my whole reasoning for wanting to write this book, again, I'd been asked from people in the Deeper the Money community for years, like, write a book, write a book. And it had been kind of on the horizon a little bit, but my real, the the real driving factor was because I wanted to, I wanted this to be a project that my mom and I could do together. And, um, And so anyway, we started on the process and there's so much that has to happen to get a published book 
before you even start writing. Um, of course, I did have to have a proposal, which is super thorough, but then you have to get an agent, you have to get the book deal, you have to, you know, have all of these things set up. And so that whole process took a year in itself. And so um, and then once that had happened, it takes a while for contracts and you know, those conversations, and then actually starting the manuscript. And so I'd written a lot of the manuscript and the manuscript was due, um, in like early, early spring, like late winter, um, I believe in like March or April of 2022. And my mom ended up passing away in February of 2022. And so, um, thank goodness my publishing team was incredible. And, you know, I reached out to them and I'm like, I cannot, I can't finish this. Um, you know, it was of course like the emotional aspect, but also just like the time consuming part of, of, of getting this on paper. And so they were like, we'll move it to a fall date. Like, you know, take care of yourself and we'll let you know what that fall date is. And, um, so anyway, they reached out to me about a month later and they said, Hey, we officially got it approved. They sent me a new contract to sign of when my manuscript would be pushed back to do. And the due date they gave me was August 23rd of last year, which was my mom's birthday. And of course they didn't know that. So, um, so that was pretty cool that it was, I turned in my official manuscript a year ago on her birthday. And then the book was actually published on this Tuesday. So the day before her birthday. So it, it was really cool. I love that you were able to sort of celebrate your own success with her in mind through all of this. I think that's a fantastic thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. She, um, she was big on celebrating. And yeah. so we've done, I've done a lot of celebrating this week for sure. Good, good, good. Well, I'm glad the book is finally out there. I've been following along with your story for a little while now, and I find it very interesting. And I, I think one of the biggest things about money that is so hard for a lot of people to grasp that I think you do grasp is that money is a little bit different for everyone. Like not every city costs the same to live in. Not every, you know, target has the same prices for clothes. Everything is a little bit different for everybody, depending on where they're at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's really what I cover in this book is getting rid of the shame that often comes with that narrative of, you know, here's basic financial advice and it should apply to everyone. And here's where you should be. And here's where this is. And then every single person with completely different backgrounds, socioeconomic statuses, they were born into, um, you know, just priorities and dreams and whatever else they all look at that and say, Oh, and, and size themselves up against that. And so the, the whole point of this book is to say, screw that, um, that baseline of where you should be. And instead, let's take a holistic look at where you want to be based on your goals, your priorities, what you value, and completely um, deconstruct this idea of how we've been taught to spend and look at money and instead create this um, new philosophy around alignment and alignment with who you are, what you want, and what your goals are today and long term. It's so interesting to me that just talking about money became a shameful thing in you know in the first place. Like, why should we feel shame about this situation? Like, yeah, we all make mistakes. Nobody's perfect, you know. But then when you get someone that gets you know breathing down your neck about this is my favorite one because you bought the avocado toast. Now you've got to feel guilty about everything that you've done in your entire life when it comes to money. And I've just never really understood why that shame has always come along with money. For sure. And, you know, I think a lot of it comes down to do with our, our systems and, and how things are set up. Um, when you think about who benefits from there being this stigma to talk about money, 
you know, you look at, you know, think of it from like a corporate perspective. It's very frowned upon to talk with your coworkers about salary. Um, but when you think of it from the perspective of like, who benefits from that? Is it the people who benefit from salary transparency when they're talking to a coworker and they're like, yeah, I make X amount. And their coworker says, wait, you make X amount. I make $10,000 less than that. I have a one more degree than you. I have more experience and I've been working here longer, but you negotiated. And then they're like, wait a second, wait, what's going on here? You know, and having those conversations, who benefits from people not having those conversations, the company, right? And um, who benefits from having those conversations, the individuals, because they have more information and um, they have more literacy, they have more understanding. And so with that understanding, they're able to better advocate for themselves. And so um, again, when we're talking about that openness of, you know, letting money be a conversation, letting money be something we talk about with our friends and with our coworkers and with, um, you know, the people we care about, whatever else, there becomes this level of, we get to rise together. We get to, you know, you have friends who just got to raise at work instead of thinking, oh, it's impolite to ask about money saying like, that's incredible. You know, did you negotiate your starting salary? Did you, okay, what were the things you learned? Do you have tips for that? What are um, the, what's the feedback you got? Where, you know, what were the things you were applying for? Like learning from that and saying, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Like I can learn from this. I can benefit from this. Or, um, you know, just not gatekeeping financial information. If, if you grew up in a household that you did learn what a credit score was, okay, maybe your friends grew up in a household that they have no idea what that is. Um, or how to raise it or what things help it and what things don't. So talk about it. Talk about it at brunch with your friends. Talk about it, um, you know, with your coworkers. It truly gets to benefit everyone when we have those conversations. Yeah, I've never really understood why there was so much secrecy surrounding like salaries. My wife is a teacher um, in the state of Maryland where we live. And because she's a teacher, salaries are public. So she can literally look up and see what anybody that she works with is making right now. And that, I think, benefits her and benefits some of her coworkers because they're able to see like, well, like you said, that person is, is making this much money, but I've been working for five years more and I had this degree. I should be making more. I've never understood understood why in the corporate world people are so like tight-lipped about that because you would think it would benefit the worker way more if we were open about that and had those conversations. Yeah, for sure. And again, like it comes back to you know who does it it benefit right. most and um if a company is going to hire someone and that person doesn't have that information and so that person accepts a salary $10,000 less than what the company was able to pay the company well, oft, companies will often look at that and say, oh, great, we're saving money. Like they'll work for less. That's incredible. Um, and so it benefits the company in that sense, but again, hurts that hurts the individual. You use the word negotiate a lot in your book, and it seems like negotiate or negotiations are something that you've been involved in from day one for you. And I find that kind of interesting. And I, I wonder where you learned that step, because I know for me, when I got out of college, if somebody was going to offer me a job, I said, yes, like it didn't matter what it was. Like I know my, one of my first radio jobs was part-time in Allentown, Pennsylvania. They were paying me $7 an hour to be on the air. The hostess at the Chili's I was working part-time at was making $10 an hour, making more money than I was seating people at a restaurant, you know, when I was on the radio. But I was like, hey, whatever, I'll take it. I need this job. I want to break into this business. So for you, how did you learn to negotiate? Like, where did that idea come from for you? 
For sure. So I started, um, when I started diving into the finance world, I also simultaneously started to learn more about, you know, our, our systems. I started learning more about, you know, the idea of this patriarchal setup of our world. Um, and I, I started getting very into, um, this idea and the statistics behind, women asking for less. Um, the, the statistics, I believe it was, um, I read a book. I am trying to think if it was lean in by Cheryl Sandberg. I'm pretty sure she talks about it in her book. Um, but she was talking about how women are like significantly less likely to apply for a job unless they meet all of the standards. Whereas men are more likely to apply for jobs that they don't have standards. Men are statistically more likely to uh, negotiate their salary. They're statistically more likely to do all of these tangible, actionable things that allow them to increase their salary. Right. And so we hear these statistics all the time of like women make 70% on the dollar of men or whatever else. And and oftentimes it's talked about in a way that doesn't, as a woman, doesn't feel empowering. Mm -hmm. It feels like, oh, that sucks. Like, so I'm just going to make less because I'm a woman. Like, and it's kind of talked about like that. You see like news articles and it's like, our system sucks. Women are getting screwed. And you're like, okay. And I felt disempowered by that. And I wanted to say, okay, but what are the things I can control? Right. And so again, I started like really diving into this and that's where I learned those statistics of women are less likely to um, apply for roles that they don't completely meet the requirements. Mm -hmm. They're less likely to negotiate their starting salary. They're less likely to negotiate a sign on bonus. They're less likely to negotiate all these things. And so I was like, you know what? I can control those things. I can, I have power to, to do that. And even though there might be other barriers at play just due to the way our system is set up or internal bias or whatever else. Like those are things I can control. And so to me, negotiation became one of these like micro strategies that allowed me to not feel like the, feel like a victim, if you will, like in, in that conversation of, okay, women make 70% on the dollar. I was like, well, in any of the factors that I have control of, a man who's coming in who has the same background as me is not going to make more than me because I'm going to be sure of it because I'm going to have those conversations. I'm going to be direct about it. I'm going to advocate for myself. I'm going to speak up. Um, I'm going to apply for jobs that I don't meet all the qualifications. And I'm going to prep for an interview to where I um, make sure that my argument as, what, as to why I would be the best candidate is taken seriously. And so um, it just felt like it... It just really gave me a lot of empowerment in that conversation when it came to tangible, measurable things like finances, salary, et cetera. As I was reading through your book, I love the fact that you do sort of leave a lot of the shame behind, and but you also address how that's how the world seems to be sort of developed around the conversations of money. I feel like in other money books that I've read before, yeah, they might not try to shame you for the decisions that you've made, but at the same time, they don't even address it. It's there. Like they just start talking about, all right, here's how you're going to fix everything. It's like, well, yeah, maybe, but like, I've got to battle through a few other things as well. I know there's a big chapter in your book where you talk about idolizing frugality. And I think that's one of the, the most interesting things. Like people that feel like they save money, feel like they have a chip on their shoulder, like they're doing something 
something better than everybody else. And I've had so many conversations with coworkers that fall into this. Like there's a guy I used to work with, for example, it's a good one, where I went to, I forget, like Old Navy or something, and I bought like a $30 pair of jeans. And I was so excited about the way they fit because you know how it is. Like jeans are so hard to find the right fit. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and he's like, oh, how much did you pay for those? And I said, 30 bucks. And he was like, well, I got these $7 Wranglers at Walmart. You got ripped off. And I was like, well, yeah, but like those wouldn't fit me, man. And it was like this whole conversation for weeks about how he saved money on his jeans. I was like, why do we idolize this idea of frugality? I get it. He saved a few bucks, but at the same time, like I'm happier, I'm more comfortable, like all of that. Exactly. And, and again, with that conversation of, of both shame and idolizing frugality, a lot of it comes down to this core belief that is just runs wild in the finance industry of the goal is to spend as little as possible. Um, I, I talk about that a lot in this book. The other, uh, you know, like main principle that is subconsciously spewed at us through uh, mainstream financial advice is the goal is to spend as little as possible. The goal is to have as much as possible in retirement. The goal is, you know, all these things that are so extreme instead of saying, okay, why would the, why is the goal to spend as little as possible? So we have enough later. Okay. Why is the goal to have as much as we can later? You know, so we, so we die with as much money as possible and we leave behind as much money, like leaving behind money when we go is incredibly powerful. It can be a legacy. We can use it to take care of the people we love that we're leaving behind organizations. We love like that. I don't want to diminish that. Like that's incredible. But so often we have this shameful narrative of like, I don't want to spend anything because I have to set aside money for later, but it's like, at what cost? So at what cost? Like I hear people all the time say like, when I retire, when I retire, when I do this. And again, we started this interview talking about my mom, but that, um, was a huge thing for me is, you know, she passed away before she was 60 and, um, you know, she was, she was a couple of years away from 60. And so, um, and, and that's five years from the retirement age in the United States, 65. And so she was years away from retirement and her whole life had said, when I retire, then I'll do this. When I retire, then I'll do this. When I retire. And that didn't come. And not only did that not come, even if she were alive, her health was declining too. Mm -hmm. And so she not only like financially felt like I can't do it yet. I have to wait, but like physically she, she, that wasn't there as a resource either. And so, um, you know, at the end of the day, it was like, for what, like, why, why didn't you take the trip then? Why didn't you spend that money then? Because, you know, you can't now, you know? And so, and again, that's a more extreme example. And this book is not a like YOLO, like spend (laughs) it now, don't save for retirement, but it's all about understanding. There has to be this middle ground of the genes that it's like, okay, do you want a gold star for spending less on jeans than someone else? Because that's what you value most is spending as little as possible. And so you get that joy out of like, ah, I spent as little as possible. I get that gold star. Or do you value, I paid $30 and I got jeans I feel really good in. And my like ah, gold star moment comes from wearing jeans that I feel good in that fit my body, that are comfy, and that were in a price range that feels good to me. And so, um, and, and the thing is like two, tr- two different things can be true at once. So like maybe for your friends, buying the $7 jeans is what is most alignment with them. Cool. That's awesome. That doesn't mean you buying $30 jeans is bad or wrong because there's not one standard metric of good ways to spend money and bad. 
Um, and that's what's being taught, right? The avocado toast. You shouldn't buy that. That was like the big thing for millennials. Millennials are spending $7 on avocado toast. And it's this horrible thing. And it's like, there two things can be true at once. There can be a boomer who says, I'm not spending $7 on avocado toast. That's dumb. Okay. That can be true. But for somebody else that can be like, Oh my gosh, of course I'd spend $7 on this. That sounds amazing. Like what, what an incredible lunch or brunch or whatever. I'm so happy about this. So both things can be true, but the shame of that's not in alignment for me. So that's stupid for you to buy it is just so outdated and just negatively impacts the way we look at money in, in, in such a way that's detrimental to our mental health. It's an idea of like the morality of saving, right? Like I, I'm a better person than you because I saved money. Like that's the morality of saving. And I've just, it's just a concept that I've never, I've never understood, but I've also never heard someone put into a book or put into words like you did in this book. And I was like, wow, Chloe is onto something here. Like there, there is a legitimate thing out there, like a moral thing that people believe they own because they're Mm -hmm. spending less money than somebody else. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and that's really what I wanted to put into a method and a step-by-step process, because I think for a lot of people, they've felt that before. Like you talked about earlier, like I think most people can relate in some capacity of feeling shame around money, but we often don't call out here are the tangible ways you, this shame in your life is impact negatively impacting your financial journey. Um, here's how that shame that we can all feel and we all can identify is leading to self-sabotage. Here's how that shame is leading to quick win, burnout, be at the same spot cycles. That's how this shame. And so the whole, you know, what I really walk through in this book is how we can get rid of shame. First of all, how we can identify the shame in our life, in our relationship with money, how we can heal that, how we can change that to get to a spot where that voice of shame in your head isn't there anymore. As you start to lay out your plan in here, I forget the exact term you use for it right now. It's not coming to the tip of my tongue. But you also talk about when you're looking at your sort of, it's the budget is not the word that you use. You use a different word besides budget. But when you're looking at it, you know, a lot of people will take a look at their finances and say, okay, I have, let's pick an arbitrary number. I have $1,200 a month to spend, okay? And they think of it, as $1,200 per month, no matter what. But you point out like every month is a little bit different. Like you've got December where you've got Christmas or maybe February with Valentine's Day. You may have a loved one that you want to buy something a little extra for. You've got a month where somebody's birthday falls or a graduation coming up. Summertime, you might do it. So like looking at it from the perspective of every single month, every single time frame is exactly the same. Also doesn't really help us because then we feel that shame coming on us when we overdo it, you know, in a month like that. Exactly. And oftentimes, especially for people who, you know, maybe have the same paycheck every month. So in your head, you're like, I should be saving the same month, same amount every month, or I should be paying off the same amount of debt every month. And that, you know, comes back to, I should spend the exact same every month, but exactly as you alluded to our priorities shift, our priorities change, what we have going on changes, like all of these different things are our heating bill and cooling bill, like that changes, you know, it's like all of these things fluctuate so much. But when we have, again, I don't like the word budget. I use the word spend plan because when we're having this mentality of like this strict budget and the whole goal is to follow this budget and it's always the same. And then every month you're like, wow, I failed. Like I suck. I can't stick to this budget. 
it, you're not broken. The, the system is like your budget's broken, like throw it out the window. Because so often when we're thinking of a budget, we're thinking of this exact same every single month spreadsheet that we have to stick to and we can't turn it, we can't change it or else we've dropped the ball. And then what happens is you're a weekend and you're like, well, I'll try again next month. And you're like, I can never stick to a budget and something always comes up. And it's like, of course, something always comes up because every month is different. And you're also growing and changing and shifting and your goals shift and your goals change. So why are we trying to follow this stationary spreadsheet, you know? And so again, while it follows a similar idea, a spend plan is about mapping out where your spending is going, but understanding that it's allowed to ebb and flow. The amount you put toward your goals is allowed to ebb and flow and change as you change. And in fact, even if it changes, it actually in the long end or in the long run leads to hitting your goals because hitting your goals faster because there's more sustainability and you're not constantly crashing and burning all the time. It's like a diet. It's like all those crash diets that you see people do. Like, yeah, maybe you get on a diet, you lose 20 pounds or whatever it is. And then you stop doing that diet, you gain it back. And then you feel that shame and then you probably gain more weight. And then you, you know, go back to doing something else. The spend plan gives you that flex to understand that there's going to be good months. There's going to be, you know, harder months. It's going to go back and forth. It's not always going to be perfect. I'm curious from your perspective, Chloe, uh, over the years that you've been working with clients, you've been talking with people, what do you think is the most common roadblock or pitfall that you find people kind of ending up in? Um, I mean, honestly, I know we've talked about this already, but shame, shame. Yeah. Um, this, this idea that something comes up and when something comes up, right, let's say, you um, forgot you had to pay uh, your property tax at the end of the year, right? And you get that bill and you're like, oh my gosh, I haven't planned for this. What stops people so often is not that bill. In their eyes, they're like, the bill is what stopped me. It's not the bill. It's it's this shame spiral. Mm. And it starts like this. It gets the bill and then it's, I can't believe I didn't plan for that. I'm so bad with money. Why didn't I think of this? Why am I just now looking at this? Of course this happened. Now this is going to throw off everything. And then the spiral continues. Mm -hmm. Now I can't stick to my budget this month. And so what's the point of even doing it? I'm not even going to try all this stuff. And then it's like, well, screw it. I already am off my budget. I might as well go buy those things and do this and whatever else. And then it becomes, I can't believe I did all those things. I can't believe I spent that money. Now I'm so far off. I'll never get ahead. And then it continues and continues and continues until they're back at this spot of just, why am I here again? Why did I land here again? Whatever else. And so one of the big things when it comes to sustainability that I work with, with my clients is like, there are things that will come up. There are times you will forget about the the property tax bill um, that's going to come up or whatever else. And there are logistical things we can put in place so less and less things come up, of course. But let's say something comes up. The biggest thing is saying, is neutrality here, of saying, oh, I forgot that that was coming up. Okay, what do I need to do to move around? That right there, that mindset shift of that not meaning something about you because there's no shame. Mm -hmm. I just, I'm a human being. I've been busy. I have stuff going on. I forgot about that. That's all that it is. Okay. I forgot about that. All right. What do I need to do to fix it? What do I need to pull out of savings or move around or maybe take from this paycheck and move to this paycheck? And then I'll set that over there and okay, I'll set up this plan and then I'll do this and this and this. And okay, cool. And now I'm back on with my day. 
the difference between that and the shame spiral of getting that and it meaning something about you and then saying, screw it. And then it leading to this rampage of like, I'm not even going to look at my budget because there's so much shame around it. And then if I look back at my budget, I'm reminded that I failed and I suck and like all of these things. So we ignore it, ignore, ignore it until they get in such a bad spot that they say, I have to do something different, but it doesn't have to be like that. It gets to be this like neutral. Oh, this happens. Okay, cool. What's the plan? And that is one of the best gifts that you can give yourself because again, it's not just about logistically that that's better for you, but for your mental health Mm. of not having that additional stress, shame, guilt, anxiety in your mind running through all day long. That's such a gift that you're giving to yourself um, that again, leads to this sustainable growth in your goals. Well, Chloe, I know I'm running out of time with you, but I love your attitude. I love the way that you approach money. I'm 42 years old and I walked away from reading most of your book. I have not finished it quite yet, but reading most of your book, feeling a much different feeling towards money. I've always had a complicated relationship with money. I grew up with not much of anything. So I have on one side, this fear of being poor uh, because I know what that's like to be in that way. I don't want to do that to my family. I don't want to do it to myself. But there's other side of me. It's like, I grew up being poor and I have money and I want the things that I never got a chance to have. Like I'm really being torn in two different directions. Uh, So navigating that balance is really tough. But I I do feel like reading through your book, which again is called Deeper Than Money, Ditch Money, Shame, Build Wealth, and Feel Confident AF, love the title by the way, uh, is putting (laughs) me in a uh, a better place. Like I just think a better place mentally to deal with the challenges that come my way and to to understand how to move forward. I I love this, uh, this plan that you've put out there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for reading the book. That was incredible. I I hope you enjoy the rest of it. And again, that just makes me so happy to hear because that's the ultimate goal of this book is that you pick it up and you feel like this warm hug and this excitement around money instead of picking up financial materials like so many of us have in the past and feeling like, oh, now I feel worse about myself. And so I'm so happy that that it was able to to bring that across a little bit. And again, I appreciate you having me so much. Before you jump, where do people go if they want to find out more about you? Deeper than money. You can search it on any social media platform. Uh, We have a podcast. You can go to deeperthanmoney.com. We have a ton of free resources too. Um, And it can be a lot of free resources that we have online can be a great place to get started. Great. Congratulations, Chloe. And hopefully we'll catch up again sometime soon. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day. Big thank you to Chloe Elise for her time. Her book, Deeper Than Money, Ditch Money Shame, Build Wealth, and Feel Confident AF is out now. You can also find more on her website, deeperthanmoney.com. And she has a podcast also called Deeper Than Money. Thank you all for listening today. Some great stuff coming out on the Adult Education Podcast in the coming weeks. So please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Until next week, be well.